0: Hello, friends, and thanks for subscribing to the Defining Marriage podcast. You'll get one chapter every week of my book, Defining Marriage, Voices from a 40-Year Labor of Love. Stick around afterwards for a little post-chapter discussion with me and a special guest. This week, we'll be exploring what happened in the months since the Supreme Court ruled on marriage, and also talking about the print edition of my book. On Defining Marriage, we trace the decades-long evolution of marriage through the personal stories of those who lived through it. Defining Marriage is the story of how people from all walks of life fought to change marriage, and how fighting for marriage, in turn, changed them. Afterward. On Friday morning, I woke up at 7am, pulled myself out of bed, and wearing just some underwear and one sock, I collapsed in front of the computer to watch a live stream of updates from the US Supreme Court. This is the way it's always worked. The Supreme Court notifies the world in advance that they'll be issuing opinions on a particular day, but doesn't say which ones to expect. So if you're waiting for the results of a particular case, for example the 2015 marriage equality case, Obergefell v. Hodges, you'll need to wake up early on every single decision day until the case you're waiting for arrives. It's like if Christmas could happen on any day of an eight-month span, and if there were nine Santas voting on whether you get a gift or coal. I watched the text updates scroll by as James played a video game next to me on the couch in our Seattle apartment. Across the country, a team of interns was clustered inside the court, and with each decision, they'd sprint out of the building and down the steps to the reporters waiting outside. From there, word spread around the world within seconds. And that's how we received the ruling. Sitting there sleepily on the couch, barely dressed, teeth unbrushed, I smiled, he shrugged, and for a moment I considered going back to bed, but figured that since I was up, I might as well eat some yogurt put on my other sock, and water my strawberry plants before the afternoon sun dried their soil. You know, gay agenda stuff. According to Justice Anthony Kennedy's ruling, the due process and equal protection clauses written in the aftermath of the Civil War protect marriage for all couples, regardless of gender. Marriage equality had been in the Constitution ever since the 14th Amendment was ratified. We just never thought to look for it there until now. I watched The Boys in the Band a few days later on the advice of a friend. The 1970 film depicts a group of gay men who have sought each other out for companionship, but who are so battered by a world that hates them that they can't help battering each other. You'll always be a homosexual, Harold tells Michael, stalking slowly closer like a predator. Always, Michael. Always. Until the day you die. Michael stares away, a tear streaking down his face in the dark. Imagine what those men's lives could have been like if homosexuality hadn't been a cause for tears in their lifetime. Imagine if we'd discovered marriage in the Constitution a few generations sooner, or if public opinion had curved up decades before it did. Imagine all the weddings we missed, all the dates that never happened, all the crushes that went unrequited, all the companionship denied. For most of my lifetime, and for many lifetimes before, suffering was our bond. As Michael says in the movie, "'Show me a happy homosexual, and I'll show you a gay corpse.'" To be queer was to feel pain. Sure, we could run off to New York or cultivate our queer circles, but it didn't entirely matter where we escaped to or who we found. Our homosexuality remained a bruise that marked us as different, pinpointed our weaknesses, and could never heal until the day we died. So that's how it used to be. Nowadays, that bruise is looking like it was a collective hallucination all along. It turned out to be a badge of strength that was only a weakness, for as long as we all accepted that it was so. When future generations crack the time capsule of the boys in the band, will any of it make sense? Will they wonder why such bitter characters spend any time together? Without pain, what will gay men of the future have to talk about? Well, they'll probably still want to go to bed with each other, so at least that bond isn't going away, but I don't know that mutual sexual interest is a firm enough foundation to build a community. So now that we've discovered marriage hiding in the 14th Amendment, it's probably a good time to ask, okay, we're married, now what else are we? There's never been a better time for us to create meaning around new institutions like a musical theater group I found in Los Angeles, cabaret friends I made in Seattle, the gamers I've played with across the country. It's probably important to note that while all of those groups are dominated by gay men, they also include women and heterosexuals. Now that we don't have to worry about our oppression, when we can finally get around to having a good time, making friends, being good to each other, all the things that were just beyond the reach of the boys in the band... Some of what awaits us will be good. Janora Dancel and Nania Bear remain friends, and in 2013, Janora married a woman named Catherine Dennis. Their ceremony was officiated by Dan Foley, who was their attorney on the lawsuit in the 1990s, and has since become a state judge. Their license was happily issued by Irene Takeda, who remembered having to turn Janora and Nania away over 20 years earlier. Some of what awaits us will be hard to endure. After the passage of Prop 8, Molly McKay and Davina Kotulski found their energy for activism completely drained, and with it, their energy to remain together. After a decade of fighting for marriage, they parted ways. And nearly all of what awaits us will be unexpected. Following the breakup, Molly struck up a conversation with Randy Williams, the man who served coffee on her morning ferry ride to work. They married in 2014 and are now raising a daughter. Nobody was more surprised by this development than Molly, but she remains an active supporter of the marriage movement, exploring her new role as an ally rather than an icon. For the better part of a decade, I used marriage to define myself, first by pining for one of my own, then by fighting for them on behalf of everyone else. But fighting for equality isn't the beginning and end of being queer. An outsider isn't all we can be. The fight for marriage doesn't define us. Our stories don't end here. Now, at last, we can discover the lives that eluded the brothers and sisters who came before us.
1: So, the thing you remember most from the Supreme Court decision is your underwear? Well, that and my socks. Sock, if I recall correctly. Sock, yes, that's right. I still haven't found that other sock. Do you remember which sock it was? It was the right
0: one. No, which of your many fancy Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it was just a white sock. It wasn't anything fancy. I didn't get dressed up for this thing, <laughs> obviously. You didn't put on a tuxedo and lounge in front of the iMac? Uh, no, no. It was a it was an informal occasion uh, watching the live stream. I actually, I, I didn't think they were going to rule that day. I thought they were going to wait until Monday. That's right.
1: I remember that. Now, can you describe what the wacky Supreme Court ruling process
0: is? It sure is wacky. I mean, there, uh, like only if there were like pies in the face or seltzer water squirting from bow ties could this be any crazier. Uh, the, so basically what happens is the court says, we're going to rule on this day. We don't know what ruling we're going to issue. And we don't know how many there's going to be But we're going to issue some rulings So everyone who's waiting for a ruling Just has to kind of sit around and keep an eye on things um, And uh, the way they do it is um, th- They release all these you know, Basically printouts These photocopied uh, rulings Into a press room and then everyone has to run out of the press room because you can't have communications devices in the Supreme Court. So you have to sprint out of the press room down the stairs of the Supreme Court to the little area where the press is allowed. Uh, so you have these folks with running shoes on, uh, interns, who sprint out of the Supreme Court and run waving stacks of paper over to the, the reporters who have to flip through them as fast as they can and report on what's been said. Um, Yeah. And so that's the process. And you you don't know, like, if they get to the bottom of the box of papers and the case that you were waiting for isn't in it, then uh, I guess you got to wait until next time. And who knows when that's going to be. It sounds like a
1: hybrid of a 19th and 21st century system. From the hall of the court itself to the press area is very 19th century. And then when it hits the point of dissemination, then it suddenly becomes a 21st century thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair way to describe the justice system, a hybrid of the 19th and 21st century. Well, what has changed in the days since the Supreme Court ruled? Well, I'd have to say that the biggest change for the country is that my book is now out in paperback. Listeners, if you've been following along with the podcast and uh, possibly following along in the ebook book version, uh, you'll be delighted to know that there is now a version that is printed on dead trees that you can get and hold and put on a bookshelf and crease the pages and write in the margins. Uh, it's an actual paper thing that you can just go to Amazon, uh, look for Defining Marriage, and you'll see paperback edition. How exciting!
1: This book of yours, it looks lovely. It is a handsome volume with a nice-looking cover. The
0: pages are made of real paper, and it's printed with ink. Uh, I'd like to think that there's some good qualities to the writing as well, but yes, all of those are (laughs) selling points. You can use it as a coaster? You can bludgeon someone with it? Uh, Sure, sure. You can use it to trace a 9x6 rectangle on a piece of paper if you need to do that. It's a great shape for a brownie. That's true. That's true. Uh, an important part of our life. Uh, you could also read it if you are so inclined. Or if you have
1: read it, or more likely if you've listened to this podcast and
0: you have all the information contained therein, it makes a lovely gift. Yes, yes. There may be some gift-giving opportunities coming up in the near future. So, listeners, uh, if you're looking for someone to give a lovely gift to, uh, to some stories, some heart Warming experiences and uh, a little piece of history, uh please do uh consider defining marriage for all of your gift giving needs
1: listeners, just between you and me let's leave little Herman out of this for a second
0: That's me I'm little Herman.
1: go stand in the corner like the Blair witch. oh, here I go bloop, 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 bloop. this book this book took like six years to write. This podcast takes three or four hours a week to make, believe it or not, the audiobook, the print book those took dozens of hours every week, Matt does multiple videos and things for the internet that inform and entertain so if you want to support his work and i think you do a great way to do that is to pick up this book on amazon give it to somebody give it to an enemy give it to a frenemy give it to your mailman give it to your dog (laughs) give it to somebody and give little herman a couple of dollars who's it gonna hurt can i come back now have you been good?
0: I've been really great.
1: All right. Look at back. this
0: corner. I've been staring so hard at this corner. This corner has never been stared harder at.
1: It feels very uncomfortable. It
0: does. It does. I think it might feel a bit violated. That That is James thumbing the, the pages in front of the microphone. Um, it sounds a bit like... It sounds a bit like a whoopee cushion uh, So, I Oh, there there you go, there you go, that sounds a bit more Well, now you've, you've deformed the book by bending everything <laughs> Listeners, if, if you act now, uh, I'll send you this version that James has bent all out of shape for your listening pleasure Much like I get all bent out of shape <laughs> just about everything he does I just thought that announcement called for a celebration It did, it did That's how we celebrate just about everything Birthdays, bar mitzvahs, um, Secretary's Day so, uh, other things I suppose have changed in the country since that ruling. Um, I mean, the big thing was was the ruling itself, and now marriage has started, and everyone 's getting married um, with with some you know complications here and there. but uh, the ruling was pretty clear that states uh, go ahead and start issuing those licenses. You cannot block gays and lesbians anymore. Um, you said
1: that that had always been in the Constitution. Yeah. Why, why would you tell a lie like that? How,
0: how has it been there? Uh, it was written in very little, very small writing. <laughs> and you had to, like, hold it up to a light bulb in order to get the ink to show up. Uh, no, well, so what was in the Constitution was due process and equal protection. That's the basis on which they ruled. Uh, due process meaning that everyone is entitled to uh, the, the full extent of the legal protection that is enumerated in the law, and uh, equal protection meaning, obviously, that everyone's entitled to equal treatment of the law. Uh, so, great. I mean, it was always there. It's just that, you know, people either didn't look for it in that way, or, you know, I think it's more accurate to say um, that advocates knew that if they made that claim, very few people would believe them. Uh, and so it took a long time to get the country and the judicial community to the point where they were like, oh, yeah, due process and equal protection. Okay.
1: So it's not that Thomas Jefferson was imagining two men's Monty's pubis grinding together, exchanging a wedding band back and forth between their ding-dongs. I'm not going to say he didn't. He was the honorary Marquis du Frottage. <laughs> yes
0: have there been any setbacks since the ruling? I wouldn't call them setbacks exactly. There have been some obstacles. The Kim Davis thing was, was probably the most high profile uh, that was, as you'll recall, or maybe you won't because it was such a flash in the pan. There's this one clerk who was like, oh, uh, no, my religious uh, liberty requires that I not issue marriage licenses, even though it's required by my office. And so I'm going to let my religion tell me how I'm going to do my civic job. Uh, so disagreement, disagreement, disagreement. And ultimately, what it comes down to is, yes, religious liberty is very important. Uh, but uh, as a government official, you have to do the law. And uh, so even though there's still some argument uh, about whether government officials really need to follow the law, uh, no serious person is still entertaining this this debate. Uh, there are a couple fringy, crazy, wacky people who are saying, oh, no, 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 It's we still have a shot to overturn this ruling and get clerks to stop issuing licenses. No, no, no. Everyone's getting married and that's the end of it. Well, the strategy with other Supreme Court
1: decisions that have met with resistance has been not so much to try to overturn the ruling, but to chip away at the meaning of it with smaller, more focused laws that essentially make it really difficult, if not impossible, to take advantage of what the court said states need to offer. So I'm talking about abortion here, folks. So have those strategies been applied to marriage?
0: A little bit. Uh, one challenge here, though, is that so many people are in favor of marriage equality at this point that it's difficult for them to do that. Yeah, here and there, there have been a few little challenges and obstacles. Alabama has been the big one, where uh, the state has invited interested parties to weigh in on whether the state needs to follow the Supreme Court ruling. Obviously, they do. They're just dragging this thing out and, and incurring massive expenses and, and ridiculous legal uh, wastes of time. Um, so uh, yeah, there's been a little chipping away. I, I think the worst you're going to see is uh, a clear might be like, we're just not going to issue licenses to anyone for any reason. So it's kind of a chipping off the nose to spite the face thing that in the long run is just going to prove to be so inconvenient and uh, have so little support that I think before long people will be like, why are we doing this? Let's just issue marriage licenses.
1: Well, I'm not talking about defying the ruling itself or resisting the ruling itself. I'm talking about doing things like trying to carve out little exemptions or to add little obstacles uh, to make it harder for people to obtain licenses, or to give business owners or private citizens options to make it harder for people to marry. For instance, what if every florist in a county decides that they don't want to sell flowers, if the flowers are going to be displayed at an event hall where a gay wedding is taking place, and as a result it becomes a hardship for people in that county to... Get flowers and the rules at the state and county level say that uh, it's fine to not sell flowers.
0: Yeah, I think it will be not uncommon for there to be uh, inconveniences like a florist thing. Uh, I think what might happen is that you could see people losing their jobs when an employer fi- finds out, oh, you got married and you got married to someone of the same sex. Well, you're fired. Uh, there are a lot of states where that's still legal, and that does happen occasionally. It's not too common, but it does happen often with religious schools or religious organizations. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely still work to be done and non discrimination protections, and I think you will see people who are like, well, I don't approve of marriage and I can't stop people from marrying, but I can make their life difficult. So that's what I'm going to do. Why is everyone so obsessed with cakes? (sighs) Cakes are a super visible symbol of marriage and they are delicious. Uh, I think people just get really worked up about them because, I mean, like, you can't have a wedding without a cake. Every wedding has to have a cake. Uh, It's a really personal expression of the couple that's getting married, so people get really uh, attached to them. Uh, And there have just been a couple of high profile incidents lately where uh, a bakery has said, nope, nope, we're not going to sell cakes to uh, same-sex couples. And in some states, that's legal, and they can do that. And in other states, you can't discriminate on the basis of a person's sexual orientation. And that's what I'm talking about. That's that's the, the... non-discrimination work that still remains to be done personally i get worked over cake worked up over case we've we've been watching this great british bake-off show that's i I, like i i don't know if you've noticed but i'm on the edge of my goddamn seat when we're watching that show uh you know whether their cake is going to rise and whether their egg wash is going to brown the cake too soon um i may be having a little panic attack when the, the cakes are coming out of the oven so i totally get it i i completely understand um if I was on if I was in a Great British Bake Off and and I couldn't get my flour I I'd, I'd want to sue somebody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very trenchant
1: observation. Thank you. Um what has become of all the organizations that were fighting for marriage now that it is a thing and they don't have to fight anymore. <laughs> uh,
0: some of them are shutting down. Some of them have found uh, new things to keep them occupied. Uh, a couple are no, no longer necessary but have uh, somehow are continuing their work. Um, so the American Foundation for Equal Rights, which I worked for for a long time, uh, has uh, eased their way into the setting sun. and uh, I think the website is is kind of the last vestige of for at this point. It's a, a website that's no longer being updated. Uh, so that Group isn't around. Uh, Freedom to Marry is uh, sunsetting themselves. Uh, so that's Evan Wolfson's group, and, and they won't be around for. for I, I, I'm actually not sure if they're still around at all now. I, I think they're still kind of in the process of closing down, but uh, they've said that the intention is to, to shut down. Um, other groups like Human Rights Campaign, they've still got lots to do. They do. I mean, one of the most useful things the Human Rights Campaign does is their Corporate Equality Index, which tells you exactly uh, how. Uh, good a company is about uh, protecting LGBT employees and um, doing outreach in the community, that kind of stuff. Uh, So they'll continue doing that, which is very useful. And of course, all their lobbying behind the scenes stuff, pressuring legislators and and buying politicians. Um, Then there's uh, groups like the National Organization for Marriage, which, God bless them, they're still going. They're still putting out blog posts, and they're still tweeting. um, And the stuff that they're doing is just laughable. you know, there was uh, just this thing in, in Houston where um, uh, some religious groups were able to trick voters into rolling back the uh, Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, uh, saying that oh, it'll allow, it'll it'll mean that that men are sneaking into the women's room. When really, what the Equal Rights Ordinance does is protect people on many bases, including sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, so, uh, voters overturned that, which means that it's still legal to discriminate in a lot of ways against a lot of people. And the National Organization for Marriage. Put out a blog post and a tweet saying uh, a huge victory for marriage. What? No, no, it isn't. What are you talking about? It's just a huge victory for discrimination, uh, which is, I mean, very revealing that that's just what national organization thinks they are. Uh, but yeah, so they're still doing discriminatory stuff here and there. Uh, they've got a budget from Catholic charities that they've got to burn through, or no, sorry, it's the Knights of Columbus that they've got to burn through. Um, They're still uh, good luck to this, still trying to do international work, but, uh, you know, when you look internationally, your choices are either uh, countries like uh, Ireland, which is uh, just wrapping up its battle for marriage equality, uh, or countries like Uganda, where there are some truly horrible, horrible, horrible things happening to LGBTs. Uh, So I think Nam and groups like them, when they go abroad, which is really the only place left for them at this point, because fights over in this country, uh, they'll either find that they get a frosty reception in, you know, France and Spain and Ireland, or they have to get into bed with some really unsavory characters as in Russia and um, uh,
1: Uganda. Speaking of groups motivated by their belief in imaginary friends, what are the Mormons up to?
0: Ah, the Mormons. Well, things have been uh, one step forward, one step back with the Mormon church. Um, So they did, to their credit, uh, broker a compromise when it came to equal, uh, non-discrimination in Utah. So that was very nice that there was some common ground found there. Uh, But the church also just issued this new directive that... um, same-sex parents uh, can no longer be, a part of, well, I mean, could never really be a part of the church, obviously, um, can't be a part of the church, and their children, this is the new thing, the children of same-sex parents cannot um, be members of the Mormon church until they turn 18, and even then, they have to renounce their parents in order to become members of the church. Uh, so that's not awesome. Uh, in response, uh, a little over a thousand uh, Mormons uh, had this big demonstration in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago where they all assembled outside the big temple there and said, no, we're not going to be Mormons anymore." If this is what you're going to do. So um, I've seen varying estimates of how many Mormons are leaving the church over the church's stand on marriage. Uh, I think it's safe to say thousands. Uh, Who knows? Maybe more. I mean, one estimate was a million. Uh, That seems a little far-fetched, but um, maybe. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, you know, the church is way out of step. This is a social change that's happened very, very quickly, and religions don't do quick change. Uh, so uh, Mormon church is uh, shedding members very quickly over this issue, and they're going to either have to change very fast, as they have occasionally in the past, uh, or uh, they're going to have to just dig in their heels and uh, be seen as being extremely regressive on this issue.
1: Well, what do you think the likelihood is that, like you did in the 70s, uh, that God's going to pop into their office and be like, ha, never mind.
0: Uh it's certainly possible. Um you know, in the past revelations have come just in the nick of time. So uh, it's possible that uh yeah, that someone's going to be like, "Oh, uh actually uh God changed his mind about gay people now. Uh good news everyone. <laughs> uh everybody back into the church. Uh you know, in general Americans are getting a lot less religious though, right? So uh I think uh it's it's going to be a tough case to make to be like, "Come back everyone. We changed our minds." I don't know, it's a good question though. Um after the church, uh, after the Mormon church changed its mind about black people, did a lot of the people who left the church over that come back? I don't know. Listeners, if you have any insight into Mormon church membership for the 1970s, uh, please chime in. I- I'm-, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I wonder to
1: what extent it's a matter of getting people back versus being able to recruit new
0: people, Mm. since missionary work is such a big part of what they do. That's true. That's true. I mean, a lot of them go abroad, but a lot of them stay here in the country. So, I mean, if... I I will say, like, whenever I say Mormons, uh, you know, the missionaries wandering around in their cute little outfits, um, I'm often like oh, those guys, I know how they feel about gays. And it's a huge turnoff. But like, what if a decade goes by and the Mormon church spends 10 years saying, oh, sorry, we were wrong, everyone. Gay people are great and uh, everyone come be gay with us. Uh,
1: <laughs> the missionaries come into your house and just start doing gay stuff for you.
0: Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. They they bring in some new window treatments. Uh, uh, maybe not that's exactly not what you had I in going. mind. No. <laughs> I mean, they always travel two by two, right? That's true. Yeah. Mm, and they're never alone. You're never allowed to be alone when you're a Mormon. When you're a missionary. That's right. Yeah. So they well, whatever they they do in the privacy of someone else's home. Sure. Put on a little show. Indeed, if like a decade went by of the Mormon Church doing really nice things for gay people, um, probably I would have some pretty warm feelings. I might be open Andrew to Andrew Christian
1: to redesign the
0: Magic Underwear. Oh, yes. That would be wonderful. And a little like up and out Pouch for for the front and the back Sure Um, Yeah Mormons here I've solved all your problems All your recruiting problems Mormons This is what you need to do Uh, Get Andrew Christian Uh, He's got Christian right there in the name So you're all set Oh uh, one question that we got uh, after the last episode Is uh, are Matt and James ever going to get married No
1: well, never say never. I might want to mooch off your benefits at some point.
0: Okay. Uh, right now, my benefits are uh, I can make brownies. So, <laughs> And you've been mooching off of those just fine for the last couple of years. That's true. I don't need any kind of legal protection on my brownie mooching. <laughs> what if I sued you, though? <laughs> I sued you for brownies. Yeah, when, you, when you think about how many of my brownies you've eaten... I think we have an
1: oral contract that says that I can eat all the brownies I want.
0: Oh, I suppose. But that doesn't mean the end of this podcast. Uh, the book is out in print, which is fabulous news. Everyone go get your that's a single sheet of the book that you're waving right there uh, go get go get a print edition uh, and the podcast will continue uh, for a few more episodes because uh, I'm going to be revisiting some of the marriage work that I've done in the past and talking a little bit more about what's changed uh, in terms of oh immigration and uh, the closet and, and all that kind of stuff um, revisiting some of the videos that I've done over the last couple of years uh, so stay tuned for those also uh, if you'd like to come see me do a live presentation not about marriage but uh, I'm going to be presenting at game GamerX, which is the uh, queer video game conference. Uh, That's going to be happening in early December in San Jose. Uh, And I'm going to be doing a presentation, along with James, uh, about uh, queer games and the queer game community and why it's important to have a space where queer people and gamer people can come together and get along and learn from each other and uh, do other stuff. Uh, So come see me at at GamerX. That's going to be in uh, uh, early to mid-December in San Jose. Meanwhile, James, did you have any other comments on this chapter You've been tight-lipped, but uh, it was a, it was a short. The afterward was short. You have no thoughts on um, boys in the band? You're a homosexual. It's true. It's true. Isn't it funny how, like, the tears like rolling down his cheek in there? If someone was like today to me, "You'll always be a homosexual," I'd be like, "Yes." Oh my so- god, this movie was made in the days before yes. Can you imagine that there was ever such a time?
1: I remember such a time, and sometimes I'm nostalgic for it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Long for the days before yes, Before, before yes had ass in it. Mm, it was always there. We just didn't know to look for it. <laughs> just like the Constitution. <laughs> yes. Well, listeners can look for you on the internet to send you questions. That is true. Please send me your tweets. Uh, I'm at Matt Baum on Twitter. And you can also obtain a copy of the book on Amazon. Uh, both e and paper. If you do happen to get a copy of the book, please do leave your review. That feedback has been lovely on Defining Marriage, uh, and I really appreciate hearing from folks. here's a review from Christine Allen. I was a marriage equality activist for
1: a decade. It's great to finally read a book that reflects more of the reality I experienced.
0: Yay! Thank you, Christine. Christine and I actually know each other. She uh, is one of those activists. She's in the book, as a matter of fact. Uh, She was the one who lived in that little um, gold rush town uh, off in uh, the, the hills of California, if you recall. She was the one who put together a little event that Molly McKay helped with at the Unitarian Universalist Church, and she was like, oh, Molly, I don't know, maybe, like, a few people might come. And then it was, like, packed to the gills, and there were the cute little old ladies who were like, oh, we've been together for 40 years, and I always say she's my sister, but we're ready to finally speak our truth. Uh, So it was Christine Allen who put that meeting together. So yeah, she's been in the trenches for a long time, Uh, and so it's lovely to hear from uh, folks who are are down there working on marriage who say, yes, this this was our experience. Uh,
1: And And you've been down in the sewers.
0: I have, I have. Listeners, uh, please do listen to my podcast, my other podcast, The Sewers of Paris, where I talk about the entertainment that changed the lives of gay men. I've had some very lovely guests lately. This past week I had uh, my friend Brian from the East coast talking about designing women and all the fantastic dixie carter speeches uh where she yells at people can you believe they never did a gay marriage episode on designing women they did so many other topics but that one never came up Uh, golden girls did it twice You're rendered speechless by that information, aren't you? Well, uh, listeners, if you'd like to hear more reminiscences of uh, sitcoms from before you were born, uh, please do tune into uh, The Sewers of Paris. It's sewersofparis.com. And you can also find me on YouTube, where I make uh, videos about uh, issues relating to LGBTs. Um, And until next time, by the power vested in me by the internet, I hereby pronounce this podcast over.